welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Excited about this? He's been preparing some time for this, and we talked, and I'm excited to hear what you have to share this morning. Okay, there we go. So uh, with that, Kidmo teachers and, and children will now be released. Testing, one, two. Am I on? Good. Yeah, yeah. Just putting out some notes, and here's the clicker. Good? Cool. Ah, Good morning, City on a Hill. So, today we're going to be talking about David. So we're starting on, we're kind of telling the story of David and Goliath. We're starting in the very, very, very first. Goliath isn't even in the picture. Uh, but we're talking about, uh, the title of the sermon is called The Relevant Heart. The king, the prophet, and the shepherd boy. And before we get into it and start talking a little bit about it, let's just have a word of prayer. And Lord Jesus, I just, uh, I'm so grateful for your love. I'm so grateful for your time. You're breaking me up before I've even said anything, so I'm in your hands at that point. <laughs> he has a sense of humor. Uh, and I just ask your blessing, Lord, over this day, Lord. I ask your blessing over um, the festivities to come after this, Lord, that you've set the table today, Lord, for something special for your people, Lord. I know it's been special for me throughout the process, Lord, so I just release this burden to you, Lord. I welcome you. I invite you, Lord. We invite you in here, Lord, that you would be with us, Lord Jesus, that you would find us with Relevant hearts, Father. We just thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your power, and your love. We ask that you have your way today. All right. If anybody needs a Bible, their ushers are passing Bibles out. We are going to be jumping into Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And what we have here now is we have, just to give you a quick Reader's Digest version of where we're coming to, we have the Israelites, right? And we have all the tribes of, Ju- of Judah and Israel. And this is right after the time of the judges. And basically everybody is saying is, we want a king. We, we want somebody, we want one person to kind of oversee the whole group of us, right? So they go to the prophet Samuel. And they say to the prophet Samuel, anoint us a king. Samuel anoints Saul. Saul is now the anointed man for Israel at the time. Saul gets into power and a funny thing happens. He stops listening. <laughs> he, he repeatedly just does not listen to what God is saying over and over and over again. And the nail hits, a, the whole thing hits a head um, in, in, in where we're going right now. Saul attacks a, a tribe called the Amicalites, and he's told very, very specifically, destroy everything. Wipe out everything. Don't leave anything left. Leave no stone unturned. No, leave no sheep unturned. Leave no one. They are to not exist. Essentially, what we're thinking of is Genocide. Get these people off. Gone. 
Samuel comes to now meet Saul, and what does he find? He finds not only did he spare the king, but he spared all the best livestock. He spares all the, the finest of, of the cattle, money, it's wealth. All right, so now we pick up to where they are. This is the new living, uh, uh, the living translation that I have up on the screen. I have sinned, Saul finally admits. So now Samuel's kind of saying, going in on him like, the Lord is done with you. He's moved on. Samuel says, I have sinned. Yes, I've disobeyed your instructions and the command of the Lord, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Oh, please, pardon my sin now and go with me to worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, it's no use. Since you have rejected the commandment of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed him to try to hold him back and tore his robe. And Samuel said to him, see, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a countryman who is better than you are and who is the glory of Israel. Then Saul pleaded again, I have sinned, but oh, at least honor me before the leaders and before the people. Okay, let's just, we're just going to kind of take chunks of it here. So what do we have? We've got Samuel going and confronting Saul saying, you haven't done what you were supposed to do again, and now God's done with you. And now we have Saul saying, wait, 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 okay, I'm sorry, my bad, I sinned, I messed up, you know, I need some room here, I sinned, I messed up, um, take me back, you know, take me back to the people, walk with me to the people so that we can now worship together, save face, right? So you've got I'm thinking Samuel is looking like an, he's an older man. He's like uh, Bravehearters. Anybody see Braveheart? Bravehearters? You know, Amish, the big guy. The, his father is kind of like what Samuel's like. He's a, he's a ruddy, he's a, he's, a, he's a tough guy. Older, though. And you've got Samuel, uh, then you have Saul, who's younger, and now he is the warrior king. He is, uh, you know, the William Wallace of the story. If you're looking at a picture, all right? So you've got Saul now talking to him, uh, Samuel now talking to him, saying, that's it, you are done. You haven't listened, okay? I, I don't want to hear it. Clearly, you've given all of the wealth to the people. You're listening to the people more than you're listening to what the Lord God has said. So now God is saying, I'm done with you. You're no longer my, my pick. You've got Saul here now. Now, it's nice to look at it all eloquent, but he's just being told by the guy that crowned him that he's not in power anymore. This is not a gentle exchange. And in this, he's saying, um, oh, please, pardon my sin now. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. I've sinned. Okay, okay, all right? Finally, yes, I disobeyed you. I disobeyed God, all right? I understand. Listen, I was just trying to make the people happy. I was just trying to please them, all right? Now, please, just pardon my sin like he's done in the past and go with me now to worship. No, he is finished with you. And in this exchange, we see now Samuel trying to leave, and Saul puts his hands on him and tries to stop him, right? And in this, in this version, it says, Saul grabbed him to try to hold him back and tore his robe. I have new King James. And it says here, and Samuel turned around to go away, and Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So... You've got this old man Samuel who's kind of you know, being held back, but he's strong. I don't want to you know, put down the older guys. So he gets away from whatever. His robe gets torn. You've torn my shirt just the same way that the Lord's going to tear Israel from you. And by the way, he's going to anoint somebody else, and he's going to be better than you. Now, there's a relationship here that we're seeing 
that's also been frayed. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll hit into that in a sec. All right. So that's what we see here now. So now Saul pleads again, please, but at least honor me before the leaders, before my people, by going with me to worship the Lord your God. Please help me save face in front of everybody. I don't want to look bad with this whole thing, all right? Let's just make it nice, and then, we can, and then, we'll, and then we'll just part ways, right? So that's exactly what Saul ends up, uh, Samuel ends up doing. He also, later on, kills King Agnac. He also finishes the job that Saul doesn't do. So they go back, they, they do the sacrifice, they do the worship or whatever. Samuel leaves Saul off in good standing. He calls, the old man Samuel calls, bring King Agnag to me. Agnag pleads for his life. He said, no, 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 no. You've already killed too many. Starts hacking him to pieces. One version says hacked, the other version says chopped. It was messy. It was messy. This is, this is, not, this is not a pretty scene. You, you follow me so far? So we know what Saul is, and we know what Samuel is. All right. I'm going to skip ahead now. So. Oh, boy. That's supposed to be saying Samuel goes undercover. I apologize for that. But anyway. So now we have Samuel. Samuel's mourning. He's mourning for the king. He's mourning for that, the fact that he appointed him in the first place. He felt like he made a big mistake. He's also mourning his friendship. Samuel is afraid for his life in a sense here. And now we see the Lord saying to him, you mourn long enough. For I have rejected him as the king of Israel. He's talking about Saul. Now take a vial of olive oil, go to Bethlehem, and find a man named Jesse. For I have selected one of his sons to be the new king. But Samuel asks, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. God's got a plan here. He's like, don't worry about it. This is what you're going to do. All right, you're going to go. All right, you're going to tell everybody that you're going to sacrifice. You're going to go undercover. You're not there to appoint a king. You're there to sacrifice. All right, you're going to go into the city, say, I'm here to sacrifice. And under that guise, invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice so you can get a look at his boys, and I can tell you which one is going to be the new king over Israel. So that's the plan. That's the undercover plot. All right. So we have, and I'm just going through the story right now. So basically right now we've got Saul, uh, we have Samuel. He arrives at the village, right? He arrives in Bethlehem. And he's greeted before he even gets in by the elders of the community. Are you coming here to start trouble is basically what he's saying. Are you coming here to start a ruckus? Now, mind you, Samuel's not popular. Saul's popular. Why? Because Saul just gave all the wealth to the people. They're loving this guy. He's given out the sheep. He's given out oxen. He's given out all the, all the wealth. This is the Robin Hood of the time. Samuel comes onto the picture and says, nobody was supposed to get anything. We were supposed to hack it all up and chop it right there in the grass where you found it. Then he goes, and it's, I'm sure it's public knowledge, that he goes and chops up the former king. So Samuel exactly isn't exactly the, the warm and fuzzy guy coming to visit the, the village. He has the respect of the people. However, he's not popular. So, he goes, he invites the elders to come to the sacrifice. He goes to Jesse, invites Jesse and his sons to come and sacrifice. He sanctifies them, performs the purification rituals. And what do we see next? When they arrived, Samuel took Eliab. Uh, I'm butchering it, I apologize. Eliab, and thought, surely this is the man that the Lord has chosen. So we have the oldest son of Jesse, 
big, strong, handsome, strapping. Surely this is God's anointed. This has got to be the one. He looks the part. He can hold the sword. He's easy on the eyes. He's well-spoken. People are going to gravitate to this guy. Just looking at him, his charisma was seeping off of him, right? God immediately speaks back to him and says, don't judge a man by his face or his height, for this is not the one. I don't make decisions the way that men do. Men judge by outward appearance, but I look at a man's thoughts and intentions. Or in my version, which I love. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The man looks outward at the, uh, the, for man looks at the outward experience, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse then calls the brothers one after the another. This is not it. This is not him. This is not him. This is not him. This is not him. What's going on here? He says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Jesse says, well, yeah. There's David, the youngest one. He's out in the field with the sheep. Well, why is he not here? Bring him to me immediately. I will wait. We won't sit. We won't eat until he gets here. I see him. I, I see this, you know, older, weathered man who's waiting in it with anticipation for how is this going to unfold? Lord, I did what you've told me. I'm not the most popular guy right now. I've done and I've obeyed. I'm doing my best to obey and hear you. I've gone. I've gone under guys. It worked. Great job, Lord. Check. I've gone to Jesse. I've met the sons. Great. I'm seeing the sons and you keep telling me no. And I'm out of sons. And now there's one left who is, uh, Max Licato coins, uh, uses the term, a hakwaton. He's underage. He's the runt of the family. He's not even important enough to come to the meeting where the big prophet comes to the house. No, stay in the field, David, with the sheep. He's unimportant. He's invisible. Probably 12 to 15 15 years old at this this point in time of his life. Samuel, I will wait. I see him at the door, looking out, probably out into the field. Probably looking for his visage to come up. Is that him? Is that the anointed one? He's waiting. I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to eat. I will wait till he gets here. And what do we know? David comes, and he says he's ruddy-looking, which translates... Uh, fair skin and probably reddish hair. Bright-eyed. Bright-eyed. We all know kids, teenage, bright-eyed kids. We all remember when we were bright-eyed, right? All right? He says, this is the one. This is the one. Samuel anoints him. And from that moment forward, you know, in, in this translation, the Spirit of Jehovah came upon him and gave him, great, gave him great power from that day onward. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. And he does this in front of all of his brothers. So what happens next? Well, what happens next is David goes back to the sheep. Anybody have that experience? Hit the pinnacle, and it's right back to the muck. Right back to the work. Right back to the job. Right back to the situations. Right back to no vision, loneliness. It's just him and the sheep again. Pull me out of the field. I don't really know what's going on. There's this old guy. He anoints me with oil. This sounds really important. He says these words to me. Wait a second. Isn't Saul the king? 
I'm going to be king? Huh? What? And then back to the sheep. All right. It's important just to go through the story so we know where we're going here. All right. So the next part here. Saul. Oh, no. I went too far. There we go. So now we have King Saul all alone with himself. So now we go back to Saul. So what we know now is Saul is having a hard time. It says that disturbing and distressing spirits came upon him. A a good way to translate this is simply to say the cares of the world came upon him, and he had no answer. You see, Saul heard from God through Samuel. (laughs) Samuel's not there anymore. He has no comfort. He has no release. He has no relief. He is the king at this point in time. He's not hungry. He's not starving. He's got gold. He's got land. He's got property. He's got everything you can possibly want. He's in the midst of wars. That's adding another stress on him as well. However, with all the stuff that he has, he has no peace. To the point that his friends say, we'll find a good harpist. We'll find somebody to play music for you whenever the tormenting spirit is bothering you. They said the harp music will quiet you and soon you'll be well again. All right, says Saul. Do it. At this point, anything. At this point, anything is better than living in my head. Anything is better than leaving me with my thoughts and my responsibilities. Please, bring me someone to make me think about something else. Let me listen to something other than the badgering and needs of all the things that I have to do and the things that are going on around me. Give me something else to put in my head and my heart. Maybe this will help out. So we know what happens. One of them said he knew a young fellow in Bethlehem, the son of a man named Jesse, who was not only a talented harp player, but was handsome, brave, strong, and had a good, solid judgment. What's more, he added, the Lord is with him. All right. Let's just, real quick, I'm going to give you my version again. Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. The Lord is with him, is the description they give of David at this point in the story. Now, hold on a second. Isn't David the kid in the sheep field out in Bethlehem? They didn't say that he was a shepherd. Wait, how do they describe the shepherd boy, the underage boy, the the, the unqualified boy? Not, not of age of, or of any importance to be of use to anyone. They described him who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. I would love that for my, for, you know. <laughs> hey, have you heard about Naeem Walcott? Yes, I have. He is a mighty man of valor, a man of war, courageous, handsome looking, and the Lord is with him. Let me tell you, the Lord is with him. Listen, that's quite the list to give to a kid who's been nowhere in the backfield with a bunch of sheep. We'll just finish the story. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse, asking that he send his son David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending not only David, but a young goat and a donkey carrying a load of food and wine. From the instant he saw David, Saul admired and loved him, and David became his bodyguard, or his armor bearer. He brought and carried the armor for him. Then Saul wrote to Jesse, please let David join my staff, for I'm very fond of him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and Saul would feel better, and the evil spirit would go away. Ooh, 
and the evil spirit would go away. All right. So what do we have? Let's just, let's just talk about it. And this is, what, this is the, my sermon, A Heart of Relevance. What happens when the anointed becomes unavailable? We have a man that was after God, you know, that God put into power, put in place, and he just stopped listening. And all the other voices in his life became more important than the, than the one that put him where he was for a reason. What happens when that happens? Well, God has to find somebody else because God's about the whole picture. He's about our whole life. He's about our whole community. He's about our whole church. So we have this point where we see this, this man, Saul, who we don't hate. We eventually do. But at this point, we're just like, eh, start listening to God. You know, you could have killed Agnag yourself. You could have done it after Samuel confronted you. He had that opportunity. It might not have mattered, but he had the opportunity to do it himself and say, oh, I repent, bring Agnag before me. Let, me, let me do the work that needs to be done here. He didn't do that. And the only request that he made wasn't repentance before God, but please save face in front of the people that I'm around. Please let me save face in front of the people. He's the king. Who cares? We know about when we go into more of David, we see what David does as the king. But this one is all still concerned about status. Who cares? Who can say anything to you? You are the king. You're the pinnacle. There's no one going higher than you. We then go to David. And we have this young boy who's not supposed to matter, but he is everything. And in his quiet, and this is what I love about it, David had that description because someone was watching. Someone was paying attention. Someone heard him. It mattered who David was before he was anything. See, while he was doing what he was supposed to do, while he was in in the sheep fields, he was still a worshiper. We know, and this is kind of giving you, giving you a little bit more of the story, we know that he kills a lion and a bear. That was a big deal. He's a man of valor. He's a courageous man. That story went around. We know he's a man of war. What does that mean? He knows how to use a sling. He knows how to use the little weapons that he has at the time. And the sling was the weapon at the time. And David was a sharpshooter. You take out a lion and a bear. I looked up what bears were in the air. It's a Eurasian brown bear. It's a big bear. It's not a little cute little cuddly bear. It's a big bear. A lion is a lion. We, we know what a lion looks like. <laughs> and there's no, there's no nice form of lion. There is no nice form. If it's hunting, run. There's only one people that are crazy enough to hunt them. I don't know. I want their dogs, though, but that's, 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 beyond, that's beyond it. Anyway. So I think, I like to think about David. I like to think about, what was he singing about? My picture of him is this boy in a field, and I'm thinking to myself, he must have been singing about something. Like, what was in his heart? Because they say that the Lord is with him. So I immediately think, well, he was singing about his stories. Well, what stories would David be singing about? Well, there was no TV. There was no comic books. There was no Twitter, Yahoo, oral tradition. So what did he learn about? Well, he learned about Moses, Gideon, Joshua, Samson. I like to think that he thought about him and Samson being two guys that took down a, took down a lion. I did it like Samson did. Because the Lord is good to me. See, he had stories already in him 
that allowed him to be the person that he was. But he, he, he didn't stop there because the Lord was with him. There was worship inside of him that was being released. I like to think of, um, I, was, I, I picture him, and I see him singing. And I'm going to sing. I said that so that you guys are prepared. It might be good, it might be bad, I don't care. I see him in the field with his sheep, wherever state he's in, saying, I cry out for your hand of mercy to be with me. He picks up a sheep. Oh, Lord, you're my rock. You're my strength and weakness. Come be with me, oh Lord. I see him bellowing it. I cry out for your hand of mercy to be with me. Oh Lord, you're my rock. You're my strength in loneliness. In depression, in victory, in joy, come be with me, oh Lord. He had worship in him. And he let that worship out, and it didn't matter who heard it. Mind you, he's in a field. How would people hear David in a field? He was bellowing. He did not care. It was a great story about the Aborigines of Australia. They would be what we would call Native Americans, but something different. And they have something called song lines. Their song lines are the way that they navigate the terrain. These people can go from one end of Australia to the other. They can walk through deserts, forests. They can go through the most unhospitable places in Australia. Mind you, in the world, Australia is probably one of the top of the roughest country. Seven of the ten, ten, ten deadliest snakes in Australia. This is inhospitable land. But these people can navigate it. They can navigate the deserts, the rivers, the forests. They can find the water. They can find the shade. They can find where the food is. How? Because they have these things called song lines. And if you remember, what a song line is, is basically someone tells the story of the way that they went. And the story describes the way that they went. I went around the rock that was shaped like a river or whatever. I went around this, I went around that. I walked 20 paces in the sun. They just tell the story. And if you tell the story, if you remember the story, you can go anywhere. You can find exactly where you want to be without a compass, GPS, or map if you remember the story. See, the the terrain and the land where you've been tell the story. It's already mapped out. You see, it's right there. It's very, very clear. And if I remember the story, if I'm walking with one, one of these gentlemen or, and he sings the story, he'll lead me exactly to where I want to go because he's not going to forget it. The cadence, the speed of the story dictates the speed of the pace that you need to walk. It's very, very meticulous. As you, trans, as you, as you go from one region of language to another, I don't, you don't need to necessarily speak the language because the story itself is also rhythmic. It transcends language. You don't necessarily have to understand it. You've got to remember the rhythm of the story. 
and it'll start to make sense as you go. And as long as you remember the story, you'll find where you need to go. Many of them sing it as they go. Song lines. David had song lines. And by remembering his song lines, he created new ones. We're talking about him 2,000 years later. He's the only king in the Bible, other than Jesus, that he's number two. Like, talked about kings, number two, David. There's a reason for that. It's not because he did it perfectly. I love the idea of Samuel seeing Eliab, and he looks at him and he says, this is the one. He's got it all together. He looks perfect. He'll look good in armor. He'll inspire people. This is exactly what we want. It's in the scripture. There's a reason for that. He was excited. Boom. First shot. Right out of the gate. I found the guy, Jesus. Bam. Mission accomplished. No, 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 no. He's a nice guy. But that's not my one. Because I'm interested in the heart. I want to know what's in your heart. That's the difference. And in our sheep pasture moments, our heart is revealed. And it's very easy to lose sight of that if we forget our story that's preceded it. All right. I'm almost wrapping up. We're going to come to an exciting conclusion. Saul starts off as an anointed and then leaves. He, 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 he just goes off into doing what everybody else wants. Because of the places that he's arrived. He's gotten older. He's, he's weathered now, right? Married people, raise your hand. Married people, very good, very good. I am recently married 10 years to my beautiful wife. Celebrated on Friday. Now, for all of you married people, if you were doing the same exact thing and stopped listening to your partner, how would life go? Not so hot. Here's the bigger problem. If you stopped loving your partner, how would that go? Not very good. If we forget the songs of our love, <laughs> we forget the relationship. The two are interconnected. I, I can't be in love with you. I can't be in love with you and not express it. I can't be in love with you and not serve it. I can't be in love with you and not grow beyond it. I can't be in love with you and not listen to it. I can't be in love with you and then hide it. Saul comes to a place where, ah, we'll do this in private. Saul comes to a place where that's not important right now, my relationship with you. Matter of fact, you know what, Samuel? Just go. Just go. Man that anointed him, he doesn't see him for the rest of his life until his death. Just, just go. I'm done with you. And we come to the place now where we see this Saul, and he can't even worship. He has to bring somebody in to worship for him. This is a cautionary tale for us. And I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but David is more of a drug in this instance for Saul than anything else. And it's a cautionary tale to us in the day and the age that we live right now, that our church doesn't become our fix. We come in because we have a, a rough moment and we base our 
Christian walk on the faith and direction of others seeking the Lord. It's not our own. It's secondhand at best. At best it's secondhand. And when we are alone and have nothing left in us, right, we find ourselves saying, do I even have worship? The song that I was eloquently trying to sing, <laughs> I've, I've been singing that song now for probably 12 years since it came out. Of all the songs, and I'm a, I'm a music hog, but th- those are my songs. When the rubber hits the road, those are my songs. Simple, me and the Lord, and I, and I belt. I belt. I bay way worse than I did just now. And I cry out to the Lord, and then I thank him, and then I worship him, because that's my own personal worship with the Lord, when it's good and when it's bad. I wish I was quicker to it, but we see now we have on one side of the fence a man whose vicarious relationship with the Lord is exactly that, vicarious. It's through other people. He has none. And we see here a man, a young man, an unimportant man, a man on the backside of nothing, right? With everything that the Lord is looking for because, and this is my crux, he didn't forget the story. He didn't forget where he has been. The best party I've ever been to in my entire life was in like a weird shacky house in Maine. Best. There was no music. People, I had no idea who they were. It was like a, a community, like cast party. I was in a play. Some guy pulled out a djembe drum. Some guy pulled out a conga drum. Somebody put out a maraca. And they just started playing around and everybody was dancing. It was the most fun time I've ever had. But I would never have picked it. I would never have picked it. The music was always in me. And the music was always in them. But had I not been in that situation, I, I would never have picked it. I would have judged it. And that's what we do all the time. We do it with every situation. We do it with every person. And we come to these places where we're saying, all right, Lord, I need more of you. But it should look like this. Or when I finish this and I finish that, then I'll have time with you. And the crux of our Christian walk is about our relationship with the Lord. I'm totally off script, so I apologize. Are you guys getting this? Thank you. David would become the king's armor bearer. And it's ironic because what he really bore for the king, the armor that David really bore for the king was his worship. That's what he protected him from. He protected himself from from all this up here. We, don't, we, have, we have the opportunity to learn from this and say, you know what, I want this relationship to be my own. I want the worship to come from my own soul. I want to be the lover. I want to be like, like it was when I first met you. I want it to be so uninhibited. I want it to be so free. I want to just, I just want to, I just want to cry out to you and love you. I want, to, I want to be with you, Jesus, like when I first met you. Rumi has a great line. He says, let the lover be. Let the lover be disgraceful, absent-minded, crazy. Someone sober will worry about things going badly. Just let the lover be. Let the Christians be. Let the Christians be wild, praising. Let, Let them dance. Someone religious will worry about people not looking right. Just let the Christians be. Right? I remember you used to dance. What movie? Yeah, it's going to rattle in there. Sorry, I'm just hitting my brother. 
Yeah, yeah. What movie? You'll, you'll, give it a second. Used to be good at it, too. Some things never change. Yeah. <laughs> he's playing dumb, but he, he's actually thinking about what movie that line is from. But Christians, I remember you used to dance. I remember you used to clap your hands. I remember that you used to play tambourines until you had red marks in your hands. I remember you used to cry out and the windows shook. I remember when we got together, the party echoed and bellowed in the room. And not for a fix, not for a good Sunday service, not because, oh, this it was happening over there. It was because the Lord was there and we wanted him to come there. The measure of a party is not in what is prepared. It is in the participants. You want good worship? Worship with the worship team. You want, you want a sermon that's going to echo and pull it, out of, pull it out of the pastor. Give him your attention. Cry out. Pray. So much of our church is just so laid back. Music team, you can come up. I'm going to get started in a second. I love the words of uh, the immortal, stoic, the vast, when he sees his wife for the first time. I've got four kids. I'm more Disney than anything else now. Um, How to Train Your Dragon too. He sees his wife for the first time in 25 years. She lists all these things. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, stoic. I should have come back. I should have done this, whatever. Drops his sword. Drops his helmet. Center. See? Disney. Four kids. That's what it does to you. He walks up to her, he grabs her, and he says, you're more beautiful than the day I lost you. For some of us, that's exactly where we are. For some of us, we need that moment to say, Jesus, you're more beautiful than the day I lost you. The day I lost you and all my religion, all my shoulds, all my have-tos, all the ways that it's supposed to look. It's not supposed to look anyway. He's the lover of your soul. It doesn't matter if you're in the bathroom or you're on the mountaintop. If he loves you, if, for those of us that don't know that love, that's what he offers. Unconditional, all the time, 24-7, full acceptance. That's our worship. That's our story, saints. Let's start that song, Steve. I just want you guys to hear this song. Jump in if you like. I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak. I need your love to free me. Oh, I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. Oh, I need your love to free me. Oh, Lord, my rock, my strength, with weakness, come rescue me. Oh, Lord. In humility. In humility. Oh, Lord. My strength in humility come rescue me, oh Lord, oh Lord, my rock, my strength in victory come rescue me, 
church which which would be what we would call a hill house brother mike's house and remember the men would sing he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high i remember it would echo in my ears until i went to promise keepers as a younger man as an older man uh, at shea stadium and the men would sing and i i would i can those two dots connected i said oh something in me for worship i remember the anticipation of going up for prayer at faith of god's word and i was online Pastor Dan was the pastor of the church at the time. He was praying over people. And I remember being excited for him to pray over me because I knew, not him, but that God was going to do something for me that day. I remember youth group in this church under youth Steve and the joy I felt at my first lock-in. I remember the community that I felt. It was one of those linchpin moments where he said, this is where I belong. This is how life is supposed to be. I need to mimic that in my older life. I remember thinking about how I was made and the areas where the Lord blessed me and made me come alive. My DNA kind of started bursting, was band, orchestra. Then it would become restaurants and cooking, but not the cooking by itself in the restaurant because I had people around me. Then I mimicked that again into Meals on Wheels. So I'm doing it with my buddies and I'm doing it with the church. Everything that, that makes me me, the, the different areas that the Lord has sung back into me also revealed what I am. I like being part of things bigger than myself. And I like being, being, doing those things with creative people because that's what unlocks me. You've got song lines of your own. You have a story of your own. And all you need to do is go back. Go back to when Jesus touched you. Go back and remember, when was the last time he touched me? When was the last time I remember that feeling? And not for the high, but for the reminder that he is still with you. We're not doing it to get high, we're doing it to have him with us. A reminder that no matter where we go, no matter what desert we're in, the song continues. He sings it with us. He sings it over us. Why? For you are good. For you are good. For you are good to me. Ushers, you guys can come forward and prepare the table. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.